put it and then it started and then yeah okay yeah so it says okay good we're up now all right Karin, thank you very much um it's wonderful that you will join us uh, join me that is to say on uh, good friday which in germany is called karl freitag karl maybe, freitag yes yeah maybe at some point during your you know, talk you can actually explain why it's called karl freitag i still have no idea but um uh, you are I not have, only i'm sorry i i've forgotten yeah. too so that's ah. <laughs> Let's avoid it then. Okay. Um, but yeah, not only have you come to join me on uh, Good Friday, but you're also fighting your allergies. Um, and uh, yeah, I mean, that's just typical of the person that you are, uh, ever the fighter. So um, yeah, today we're going to talk about um, yeah, an interesting passage which takes you to the United Kingdom, a place which I know very well and hold very dear to me as well. Um, the jump from Cincinnati to the UK, was it direct or via Germany? It was direct. Um, somebody uh, came through the Goethe Institute to hold lectures in America. And uh, after he had gone back to London, um, I was bombarded with letters and so on and so forth. I um, wanted during my vacation to go to Germany but I and first stop over in England, which I did, and I stayed in England and I only went back to America to tell them I'm leaving and I'm going to get married again. That was a decision that was very rash and it was um, something that I, in the end, may have re regretted, but I... I don't really, because uh, that period of my life was strenuous. It was in part terrible, in part traumatic. But at the same time, it proved me that I could survive. Under adverse conditions, basically. Yes. <coughs> Excuse me. Okay, I hope my voice holds a bit better now. <laughs> yeah, me too. Um, okay, wow. So, yeah, quick decisions um, yeah, are not always traumatic, um, but unfortunately they do occasionally you know, turn out to be that way. So, but you made a big change. I mean, moving, you know, if you had moved back to Germany, then it would have been far easier for you to accomplish. But you, you not only decided to leave Cincinnati, which is a place you had established yourself after your first husband passed away, you fought on. Um, uh, but you know, then you decided to continue the fight in a completely different country, even though you'd had a pleasant experience just after the war um, in the UK. But this is, a, I believe, a completely different part of the country, wasn't it, that you would be going it to? It was London. Yeah. Uh, we were staying in London. Uh, the thing was that um, I decided when I realized what was happening in an in and around us, um, I remembered my mother saying, once you have said yes, you stick with it no matter. So this is why I kept on in Britain for almost 15 years. But uh, that period of my life was, in a way, I can encapsulate that by saying I was not free to lead my own life. I had little a chance of making decisions in and around my life, except I was responsible for everything. I was 
was responsible for the nitty-gritty. I was responsible for the atmosphere. I was responsible for the weather. I was responsible for reality. And that um, responsibility, I later discovered, was something I could be manipulated by. And that period in London was pure manipulation of my re sense of responsibility. Mm -hmm. Okay, but you've never claimed to be able to control the weather, have you, to my knowledge? Um, and if you did, then I think you'd I control couldn't. it in a far better way. <laughs> no, I couldn't, and I couldn't... Uh, uh, control m many of the other things as well, but um, it was pushed over to uh, Karen will take care of it. So you did all of the hard work, but the the shine and the plaudits um, not so. If I if I understand correctly, just to sum things up, and then um, then we can move on because you you also from what you said. Um, you still did a lot of talks, you worked on lots of interesting projects, as in your output didn't really go down, did it? No, it didn't go down. It uh, First of all, it was, as in uh, Cincinnati, it was a 100-hour uh, uh, work week. I was in charge of the house. I was in charge of editing every word that he wrote uh, and then trying to find little corners where I could uh, do my own things. Uh, if they were out of his sphere, he would interfere. Uh, if they were in one way or another connected with his sphere or came in handy with his pursuits, uh, I was allowed to do them. So I did as much as I can, and I'm going to go into it a little uh, more a little later. Mm -hmm. um, I realized once I came to England, that I wasn't really going to be living in England. I was going to live in a German German exile surrounding and uh, not having television, not having uh, access to, to uh, a lot of English people, to um, be confined, not to have newspapers and so on and so forth. Uh, I wasn't used to having these restrictions all over me. So in one way or another, I in the beginning fought against them, but I, I, saw, I saw that uh, fighting did nothing to alleviate the burden. So I started to find ways of doing other things. Uh, but first, this realization was particularly uh, coming up when there was a scholarship for my partner to the Villa Massimo in Rome, which was the first year uh, I was in Britain. We stayed in Rome at the Villa Massimo for half a year. And uh, again, as in, in Britain, we weren't living in Rome. I We weren't living within a Italian surrounding. We were living among German artists who had scholarships to this foundation. And it was uh, living among artists is, is hard enough uh, at times. And at the same time, I took everything I could out of this experience and did, made the best of it. 
coming back to London, um, I had the privilege of meeting somebody from the German embassy and the the person was interested in literature and asked me whether I would travel around England and give lectures on literary subjects like Brecht or Goethe or whatever, whatever they wanted in in uh, German English societies or in universities or whatever. So I traveled around to Cheltenham, to uh, Salisbury, to York and gave these um lectures and there were some wonderful funny experiences because in Salisbury the group that had invited me was a German English society run by ex uh, military people who had been to Germany and had married in Germany and brought their German wives and they wanted to talk about uh, a comparison between Goethe and somebody else, I don't remember. Anyway, I had all kinds, I usually make uh, several levels of uh, papers because you never know who your uh, listeners are. So in that case, I went and dropped everything I'd done and simply started uh, telling them about what I was uh going to say in in a most uh, academic way telling them about the literature what it meant what what it said and um i thought it was like giving a uh, a lecture to 15 year olds um at the end of it they were already tearing their raffle tickets apart because there would be a raffle afterwards And once uh, the chair of the German English Society or English German, Anglo German Society, uh, looked at his wife and said, uh, Dear, uh, you wanted culture, you got it. (laughs) At which point I couldn't burst out laughing, but I laughed a lot afterwards. But uh, those were, of course, uh, very human and very lovely experiences. Um, these uh, these uh, papers brought me out, got me in touch with English society, at least to some degree. A little better uh, it did become when I was starting to write feuilletons for the East German magazine. Um, they wanted uh, papers on... English literary landscapes. So I had to go out and research um, Lady Chatterley Country, uh, Sherlock Holmes, London, uh, the uh, um, Robin Hood Country, which led me all through Northern England. And then I wrote uh, my photons and they were published. And uh, that, of course, in most cases, uh, let me go out on my own. Because if and when my husband would have come along, he took over the interview and it was the, the time was shot. So um, I was very lucky when I could go alone. 
and I did, and I it it kept me in balance to some degree. The other thing that kept me relatively in balance was that uh, we had to travel a lot uh, on his behalf for business, for literary business. Uh, we were in Germany six, seven times a year, and not just for business, but also to uh, visit family, our families, and particularly when there was an emergency in one of our families, I got in the car and drove to Germany and stayed there for a week or two or whatever. And that gave me time to be myself. And that was uh, made it a little easier. Uh, in London, um, there were, of course, quite a number of things that I could do there because there was the connection between Penn and uh, the Club 43. I'll talk about Penn later. Uh, the Club 43 was um, a culture club that had divided from the Kulturbund, which was leftist, and the um, bourgeois elements had formed their own culture club in 1943, and this is why the club was called 1943. It still existed. It existed into the uh, 20th century, in the 21st century, um, and it involved um, Monday lectures on anything and everything that m might be of interest to people who had the exile experience internalized and lived in England. Um, so I gave a lot of lectures there. My partner had done the same. So uh, that was allowed and that was uh, very, to me, very, very important because it stressed something that had been with me uh, from the beginning when I started researching National Socialism throughout uh, America, where I also was living in part with Amer German exiles, and through courses I'd taken at the University of Cincinnati on exile literature. So exile literature had been part of my life since then. And in, Amer in America, too, we had in Kentucky a an exile literature conference every year, which I attended. And uh, so it was a lifeline in London to be able to continue work on literary exile and work with people who had been exiled from the Nazis. And then came another string that tied me to exile was the German... Pen of German-speaking writers abroad. Pen is an organization, a worldwide organization of writers. It has uh, centers in many, many countries. And uh, because of the political upheavals of the 20th century, uh, the German pen left the pen uh, family at Ragusa, which is Dubrovnik today, uh, because there was um, there was uh, widerstand. There was there was uh, there were talks against them. They they were called to task. The German Nazis who had taken over German pen were called to task by 
uh, German exile writers, and they left the room, left Penn, and a year later, the German Penn in Exile was born. It was born in England. Um, there was an English uh, secretary who lived in England. There was Heinrich Mann, who lived in France, who was the president. And already in the first or second years, uh, there were some 20, 25 exile writers from all over the world, part of this exile pen. And this exile pen survived in a way uh, beyond 1948. In 48, they were re they renamed themselves as pen of German speaking writers abroad because in 48 German pen reestablished itself in two parts, East and West, which later split into East German pen, West German pen, and the exile pen in London called uh, German speaking writers abroad now. This uh, group was in London. Um, my partner became secretary of the, the center and I became the secretary's secretary and much later the treasurer of the group. And this was a new push into the problem of exile and the understanding of what exile meant physically, mentally, emotionally and um, across generations. So it stayed with me and it stays with me today. So in that sense, uh, the London experience gave me something very important. Um, you see, when family matters took me to Germany, many times I went alone because I was the chauffeur. Um, I, I could go alone. He had to uh, go by train or by boat. Um, he very rarely went alone. He was also already, I'm sorry. He, um, every, every time he went, he needed a chauffeur. So um, when I could, when I was called because of cases of need, because of illness, um, I went alone by car to Germany, and in many cases it was for a week here, two weeks there in to help his parents, or when my father was uh, in hospital in Tübingen, I was allowed to stay for three months uh, with him or near him. And also when my niece became ill, I simply jumped into the car and could go, and all these experiences in Germany alone helped me balance myself, I must say, although they were usually they were very traumatic. Um, the pen connection um, did not just strengthen my uh, involvement in exile, it also gave me cause for writing for uh, speaking because we had the 50th anniversary of that Penn Center, which had born, been born in 19, uh, 
1934, uh, was celebrated in London with a literary event to which quite a number of uh, renowned people came. Um, I was involved in the management of it uh, in the year later, we had in the next year, in next, I'm sorry, um, the next year we were in New York and had an event there with the American members of that Penn Center. This Penn Center, by the way, had um, some 110, 117 members in 17 countries, so it was quite worldwide. Um, and the uh, event in New York gave me the privilege of giving a talk on American exile under the title of Was America Second Home or Second Foreign Country? And that, of course, uh, plays into the experience of do you feel at home in your new country? Can you ever make it your home, literary, uh, language-wise, emotionally? Or are you losing both after a while when you cannot really get in touch with your own country anymore, emotionally, through language, through communication, as was not uh, was possible, uh, as was the case during the Nazi period? They couldn't just pick up the phone and uh, Skype to uh, back to Germany to their publisher or to their friends or to their family, uh, they were really cut off. Okay, so Penn was set up in 1934, obviously... Uh, no, German Hitler, Penn in exile. Yeah, German Penn in exile. Okay, so yes. um, obviously Hitler came to power in 1933, so therefore um, this, this network began to increase when people decided that they could not, for any, uh, in any way, continue to live under Nazi rule. So therefore, they they left. Either they were forced to leave, or they left of their own volition, uh, and obviously became or joined up with Penn in exile. Um, but w when was Penn actually set up? Was it an organisation specifically for Germans, or was it no uh, for writers uh, worldwide? It was set up in England in 1921 by a woman, and it was a writers club in the beginning at first in England and then there came a French and an American and a Canadian and um, there were a number of foundations of national pen clubs and the national pen clubs joined under the umbrella international pen so by the time um, the first exile pen center which was this German uh, writers um, group uh, came in, the, they had something like 60, maybe 50 pen centers around the world. In the end, we had, or when, when I left, uh, in, left the, my job in, uh, in the 2006, we had 114, no, 170 member centers of international pen. Uh, of course, because it was a writer's uh, organization, it did not have the uh, amount of members that, for instance, later uh, Amnesty had. 
Penn had something like 15,000 members throughout the world. And when in the 60s, um, the Commonwealth and the colonialism um, effects went to pieces and the uh, former colonies became independent, there was a big, big um, increase in attacks on writers because anybody who speaks freely is uh, also speaking freely on corruption, on on uh, lack of freedom and so on and so forth. So this is when in the pen community, they decided to have a writers in prison committee, which meant a committee that uh, wasn't just for writers in prison, but writers before prison, meaning uh, persecuted writers. And they set up uh, ways and means of helping them in writers uh, in prison committees in individual pens. And this was uh, in 1961, in the beginning of 61. And in the fall of 61, amnesty was established, basically along the same lines, except it was not limited to writers. And many of our writers were co-founders of amnesty uh, centers in different countries. So there was a close connection in terms of contents and in terms of uh, personnel. Mm-hmm. It's interesting, though, isn't it? I mean, we're going to talk about Penn a lot more in uh, future uh, sessions. So, I mean, maybe I could hold off my my questions about it. But it's just a very small curiosity, uh, which we could, you know, further develop down the line. But Penn is doesn't have the same um, reputation that Amnesty has, and I don't mean that Penn has a bad reputation. I just mean that it's not as well known as no, Amnesty. No, because it's because it's writers only. And um, amnesty is for everybody, uh, which means it has uh, so many volunteers. It has so many people who work for amnesty. It is a huge organization, if you particularly if you compare it with Penn. And in Penn, you cannot, for instance, join Penn. You have to be asked to join it and you have to be voted in, meaning it's a selective group, um, which is getting better, I must say. It's more, it's getting more democratic. But um, it was a matter of size also. Plus Penn, of course, uh, has literary concerns beyond writers in prison. It has now also different committees more uh, after writers in prison, um, the uh, women's writers uh, was established in the late 80s, early 90s, and I was a co-founder of that center, of that committee. Um, in the 90s, end of 90s, uh, we established a uh, writers in exile network across the pen centers. It w- did not become a committee because a committee would have had to be centered in London with international pen. Um, The 
the uh, network was independent groups who were dealing with uh, writers in exile and helping them in countries like Canada and the United States, in the Scandinavian countries, in Germany, in Austria, and uh, so on. Um, and there was one more uh, committee, which was the Linguistic Committee, which dealt with minority languages and translations. And that is uh, the smallest one of the committees. And it was always uh, centered either in one of in Macedonia, now northern Macedonia, or in Spain, because they were mostly dealing with uh, different languages in, in their own realm. And they were trying to balance the language problem and the translation problem. And minor languages had little chance of being translated around the world, so they needed a special effort. And uh, unfortunately, the big centers, very few of the big centers, really partic participated in the uh, translation and literary rights uh, committee. Okay. Most most centers. We had um, 115 centers with writers and prison committees, which of course was uh, wonderful. Was that the biggest uh, committee was, then? Yes, yes, it was. It was. And then again, um, it was not. Uh, it didn't have that many people. We had to activate uh, members in our centers to participate in writing um, letters to officials or uh, regimes or uh, to our uh, politicians to help uh, alleviate the burden of repression in other countries. Um, some pen centers had committees. The Canadians had a committee of 100 plus they activated the, the uh, wider public. Uh, German pen, for instance, didn't have a committee. They had one representative of for writers in prison, and he or she had to do everything, uh, build their own, build their own uh, background committee or helpers. Um, they were supported in a way by the um, German managers who had uh, who did some of the writing. All the rest had to be done by the representative of the Writers in Prison Committee, who, who was also the vice president of German Pen. So it was a very mixed bag of influences, uh, membership uh, strength. The African countries sometimes had uh, 20 members and maybe they had one person interested or free to work in terms of writers in prison. And then it was mostly for writers in prison in their own country. And we on the outside tried to help as much as we could. All right. Thank you. Yeah. Sorry. Sorry I interrupted your train of thought there. It was just uh, it's important to get some. Uh, some background as to uh, you know, as to pen, even though obviously this information is out there online, but uh, it's, it's I think it, it's enhanced a little bit to get your 
uh, your tell on uh, on how it was and how things developed and grew and so on. I will um, probably refer back to it when we come in, when I come back in, in my tale to Germany, where my involvement in international pen, German pen and international pen become became uh, extreme and uh, very rewarding. And um, then I go into the structure a bit more. Sure. Okay. So um, if, just to catch up back where we were, then you were, you'd come back to Germany, uh, you'd driven back, uh, your partner had on occasion when he had also traveled, uh, come by train, um, because he also always needed to be driven about. Uh, but there were many occasions where you came back alone, um, and these were opportunities for you to um, collect yourself, as it were, to balance out the imbalances that had um, developed. And then you sort of plunged back into things when you returned to to the UK. Yes. Okay. Um, I think I was in a movie theatre in London once. I saw two plays. Um, I did get to know London fairly well because I had, of course, to drive our guests through London. Um, so I found my way around and I was lucky. At that time, there was no charge yet to get into the city of London. Mm. And I had, uh, I had the good luck of always finding a parking space. So I drove around London quite a bit, saw it, but I didn't get into the into the inside of London. I didn't get to uh, meet very many people and uh, or see their homes or, or uh, exchange ideas with them. Uh, that I missed. I missed very much, and I was lucky that I had had it. Uh, a half a lifetime before that, that I knew something about um, uh, English life or British life. And um, so it wasn't all uh, lost on that front either. This is for you're going back to your experiences in uh, Northumberland. Yes, yeah. yes. Okay. I, I can't. I can't. The the only thing that's completely unbelievable about your story is that you could always find parking spaces in London. But I mean, that's a different. <laughs> yes, that's a different I, I was lucky. I was lucky. I had I had a nose. I had a nose. Um, I drove back and forth, uh, forth to the airport. I drove through the centre of London, uh, the centre of Westminster, the centre of the city of London, and somehow I always found. Um, parking space within walking distance. Unbelievable. Yeah. Okay. I, mean, I believe, I believe you because it's you. I believe it because it's you. But uh, you know, having you know grown up in London, I was born in London, and yeah, I mean, you, I used to spend hours driving around trying to find parking space. Yeah. Um, so yeah, you had more than a nose for it. I think you had some kind of GPS, uh, you know, strategy sensor or whatever that uh, somehow. You know, I must have because be. uh, on, on the contrary, when I came to uh, to uh, Cologne, uh, I spent sometimes a half an hour driving around the place I lived to find a parking space. I got it back when I came to uh, when I came to Cologne, so I wasn't lucky all the time. 
Okay. All right. That's, uh, in some ways, I'd say that's a relief. In other ways, it's a shame, really, because Cologne is a little bit smaller than London. But uh, yeah, so that's uh, that's a different issue. Okay. So yes. So I mean, but also you were brave to drive around London. I mean, I have to admit. I mean, when I was driving around um, London in my twenties, you know, I hated it. Because everybody's just crazy in a big city, the way they drive. It's almost like, well, it's not quite as bad as Athens or Rome, but, I mean, it's still crazy. You're, you're, you're saying you're saying it. Um, I learned uh, danger driving in Rome. <laughs> um, you I, drove I in Rome? To, I loved to drive. I started driving when I was 18. I drove in Germany. I drove in America. Uh, wherever I, I went, I drove. Uh, England didn't was no problem. I uh, within seconds got into the uh, flow of driving on the left hand side. I had a um, German car where the steering wheel was on the left side, um, so I didn't have to uh, adjust to all the changes, just to driving on the left hand side of the road, which posed no problem and it didn't pose any problem to go back and forth to the continent and switching from the left to the right. But uh, Italy was a challenge. Uh, I remember driving into into Rome, not knowing anything about the way that they had uh, service roads next to the main roads and that you had to get into the service roads to, to be able to um, turn right or left that on the on the main throughways you were stuck and if you didn't get the right turn off um, into the service road which didn't seem like a road uh, you hadn't lost it plus when you were driving and um, since nobody uh, looked at the at the lights you had to test whether you had stronger nerves or the others. Uh, you drove just to the point where either they backed up or you backed up. And when you didn't back up, they let you through and they weren't mad or anything that was part of the game. The only th uh, rule in, in Italy that they all uh, abided by was don't cause an accident. That's a nice one. I have to admit, they should have that rule everywhere. Um, absolutely, save so many people's lives. Um, but yeah, I mean, I never drove in Rome. I wouldn't drive in Rome, Karin. Uh, that that explains uh, our levels of bravery and where they are on the the bravery monitor. Um, it, for me, it was scary enough just to ride a bus in Rome, um, and, and that'll do the job for me, I think. But a, a lovely city. Um, I don't think anybody can complain about that. But anyway, okay, cool. So you're back in London. You're back um, driving people around the town. Um, you are giving lectures on German culture. You are engaging with people on an intellectual basis. It's it's satisfying your intellectual needs. Uh, yes, in in one part. Um, it got a bit more difficult when when writing, um, if I wrote or if I uh, researched or wrote anything that uh, was outside of the line of our lives, um, I was being basically harassed, 
not to keep the not to uh, keep the attention away from our life. Um, and then there were these projects where uh, we wrote together, uh, basically uh, two projects. One project, uh, a book in English on the Palatinate, where he came from, um, which in the end um, I had to write because I'd only gotten little bits of information and he had left for Germany, so I wrote the book. I don't think he ever read that, read it. And he never even read one chapter of the English version of our Berlin book. We researched in Berlin, East and West, for a book, um, Two Cities Under Seven Flags, uh, was the English title. Uh, we had the same in in German. He was in charge of the German version. I was in charge of the English version, uh, which was an American English version because it was a big city uh, in, in a big city context. Um, the thing was that whenever he had changed something, I had to re-research. So uh, it got very difficult in terms of working together, it wasn't working together, it was sometimes working against one another. And the other thing I did research and uh, write or edit was a book on bio-bibliographies bio of the members of German-speaking writers abroad. Uh, the Spen Center, of course, uh, was still based in London. Uh, we had conferences or membership uh, meetings of 10, 15 people, no more. And since I had gotten to know many of them, uh, and one of the uh, loveliest people I met, uh, um, the former uh, secretary of the Penn Center, Gabriele Tergit, who came from Berlin. Um, she was famous in Berlin at the time. Um, she had started uh, bio-bibliographies bio of the members then part of that Penn Center. And uh, I picked up on the idea and re-researched on the members of our period. And uh, we found a publisher in Germany. So that was uh, under the title... Uh, Ach, Sie schreiben Deutsch. Oh, you're writing in German, meaning you're not in Germany, but you're writing in German. Mm -hmm. And that was um, a project I'm very proud of, I must say. But um, the end of the London experience came relatively quickly. Um, the decision I made on the 14th of February of uh, 90, no, I'm sorry, yes, 99, which isn't true, 89, 89. So I've been in Germany now for 30 years, and that says something about not being able to speak as fluently as I used to be able to, because I haven't spoken English, but uh, this end came in December of, December of, uh, 99, 89. Uh, sorry, 89, going on 99, 
uh, once over. The um, rapid end came around the time of 89 to 90 and was relatively quick in mid-90. I was back in Germany. And if my family hadn't helped me, I would have been in dire straits. Um, they did, my, uh, my father had died. My mother wasn't there anymore. My father had died. My brother and his family, great, thankfully, took me in for about three months until I'd found a place in Cologne where I could live. And that was the end of the English experience or the British experience during that time. Later, I came back to England quite often because of work with Penn. So uh, I could make up on, on lots of experiences with British people. Okay. I mean, there are so many things that you've mentioned there that I would like to uh, reference or speak to or speak of. But uh, I don't think there's any there's any point in doing so. Um, but in other sessions, we will be able to, I think, address some of the the issues that your professional uh, decision making uh, had an effect upon. I mean, you said yourself that you set up a pen writers for women. Um, no, not I. No, I didn't. I was a co-founder. A co-founder of yes, that's, yes. Sorry, that's what I meant. Yep, a co-founder of that project. Um, which I would love to hear more upon, and um, I'm sure in, in our you know next episodes that you will really start to dig into the work that you did at Penn. Um, and you know this is a fascinating story in the making. Um, I'm happy also that you mentioned that after this experience. So how how long are we talking about here? So I mean Cincinnati ended in seventy seven. So we're talking about twelve years you were in London. Is that 12 correct? Twelve years in in America at that point, at yeah. that stretch, and twelve to thirteen years in in London. Okay. Uh, so I'm happy that in later years you were able to fulfil or fill in the gaps uh, of your London experience. Um, and I, I hope I hope overcome any ill feeling that you may have had uh, with regards to London. I but never had, ne I'm sorry, I never had negative feelings about London. I loved London. It was just that I, I couldn't get beyond the facade. Mm. And I, I, which meant I saw London, but I didn't live in it. Yeah, I mean, that, it's such a shame. Um, but you, you also saw lots of parts of England. I mean, you have seen, let's talk about your whole life experience. You have seen lots of parts of, uh, of, of the UK uh, that I haven't seen. Um, would you agree that the UK is another classic example of a country where the capital city in no way is representative of the rest of the country? Uh, that's very true, in the good and in the best, bad sense. Um, the country is lovely, the people are very kind, but so are most of the Londoners, I must say. Mm -hmm. um, London is hectic, the country is slow going, is um, very comfortable, and as I said, beautiful. I think I spent uh, 15 uh, vacations in Cornwall, I loved it. We, we had exile friends there and they stayed friends of mine uh, after 
weird split. Um, it was lovely to go back there alone and really enjoy the landscape and, and the feeling. And uh, by that time, I'd gotten into English 19th century literature and um, was reading, reading, reading. And reading, of course, um, gets you into into the, the, the abodes of people. Um, some American student once said, um, drama gets you into the streets of a, a, a culture. Um, prose gets you into the living room of culture and poetry gets you in the heart of culture. And that is fairly true in, in many a way, many ways. I, I, I think, I mean, what opens before us, uh, and perhaps it's, it's always been there staring me in the face, only my own silliness has allowed me to overlook it until now, is that once we have completed the, uh, the life story uh, of Karin, uh, perhaps we can then also start to talk about your actual passion, which is literature. Um, and um, you know you can definitely educate me uh, in so many ways upon literature, but we can perhaps talk about some of your favorites. Um, yes, um, we can come back once. Once I think the German experience, the next um, basically uh, twenty years until I retired, uh, we can have in one block, and then we can go into individual questions and individual parts of things that I maybe skipped about mm -hmm. or skipped over and you get me back into what you think is important to you to know. Mm -hmm. Okay. I, I wouldn't want to um, concentrate your 20 years of uh, the German return, as it were, into one episode, because I think there are lots and lots of different little chapters there, lots of different little stories. Um, and, you know, in fact, if we could perhaps spread them out a bit more, um, because, you know, these are, there are individuals, uh, you know, with, to whom we have in some ways referred, you know, who themselves represent, you know, a lot of information, a big story. Um, I think, you know, okay, obviously, I don't think, but there's Anna Politskaya, um, and I, I, innumerable numbers of people uh, with whom you have had to interact. Um, and, you know, I think they all deserve um, a mention. You know, it's it's important to remember what these people stood for. It's important for people who died under pressure, under persecution, I think. Uh, in other aspects, I will not um, talk about too many names or uh, meetings with famous people, what have you. Uh, I'm not a name dropper. Um, some people are in German. One says uh, in in German the term is promi geil, uh, eager to get in touch with prominent people, and that is when I retreat into the background. In a way, I've always felt more comfortable in the background and have always been pushed into the front. So uh, mm. any chance I got, I got back into the background. Okay. Um, 
in, in that way we're perhaps quite similar. But I mean, I, I wouldn't want to make you feel as though you had to name drop. It just gives a certain um, reference point to to a tale. Um, but it also, you know, it, it, this doesn't highlight necessarily you as the hero, but obviously you are the person who has dealt with these experiences. But you remind us of the lives that these people led. Yes. And what, what their trials were. And yes. th th that's what we want to get to, I guess. And their courage and their kindness. Exactly. And um, I'm very, very privileged to have ever met them. Yeah. So these people, from that perspective, it wouldn't be name-dropping, Carlin. It would simply be you giving yes. a very honest, right. a sincere appraisal. I just, want, I just wanted to limit it, yes, to sure. those. Mm -hmm. Okay. All right. We will do that exactly the way that you want it. Um, because I think that's the way it should be. Um, and then after that, we could talk about some of our, and specifically your, some of our favourites too, um, because um, I know that we both have a particular admiration for uh, Charles Dickens. Um, but beyond that also, there are other, you mentioned, um, is it 19th century poets? Right. Uh, yeah, and so, writers, yes. And writers in general. Okay, so you know, there is also something that I can have a small amount of input on, uh, but would love to hear, obviously, your opinions about as well. So right. there's once, so much, yeah. Once my story is over, we really get into a discussion. Uh, yeah, just to bring this to a conclusion, 1989-1990, you leave London, you return to Germany at a fascinating time in German history, but not, also, not only German, but also uh, European history uh, in the history of the Cold War um, to open a new chapter as well in your life, um, which really sets us up very nicely for the next instalment. Um, thank you, Carlin. Thank you very much for your time uh, and indeed your, your energy and your patience. No, thank you. Thank you for getting it out of me. Bye-bye.